we don't know where they are. All we know is um, they're homeless. Several of the houses belonging to members of my family have been bombed. Um, several of them have had the entire neighborhoods where they've lived their whole lives have been flattened by Israeli airstrikes. It's so hard to get power and internet that we only hear from them once or twice a day. And the update is we're still alive. So the only way out of this is an immediate ceasefire and then a real reckoning with the things that led to this point. Yeah. Because there's no military solution to this. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bituation Room podcast live stream. I'm your host, Francesca Fiorentini. Not in my usual spot. I am visiting my mother. Um, well, no, I'm doing a show at the Punchline in San Francisco tonight and uh, stopped by my mom's <laughs> as a little bonus. Uh, sucks for me because I got zero sleep last night. So uh, if I am loopy and weep, uh, you'll know why. I'm very excited for this show. Uh, I feel like it's something we need in the midst of so much um, awfulness right now. Uh, obviously, we are in the middle of, um, as I've said before, I think maybe one of the greatest war crimes unfolding in front of our very eyes in Gaza. And we're going to talk about it. Um, senior producer at AJ Plus, Mohammed Al Safin, is joining us in a little bit. A uh, former coworker of mine, great guy who has family in Gaza who knows about this issue, who's done some incredible work and in, um, reporting around this and making sure we all, I mean, I've been, I've been referencing AJ plus videos in the last few days um, and so grateful for all that they've done. Um, or should I say we, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> but uh, later on in the show, Julian Walker and Derek Barris of Conspirituality Pod are going to be on we're going to check in with RFK Jr. How's he doing? What's going on? Uh, who's he meeting with? Uh, currently, apparently, some Dutch fascist who doesn't believe dinosaurs were real? Like, look, dude, I get, like, you think that Jesus was around during the time of the dinosaurs, but just saying that they're not real? <laughs> anyway, very excited. I'm sure nothing but good good vibes uh, from that campaign. Um. God, I have so much anger in my heart right now um, as I think about that. But anyway, we'll we'll get into that. And then finally, of course, this is the Bituation Room, and we cannot let perhaps the biggest source of levity in these awful times go to waste, and that would be Representative George Santos. That's right. Uh, dude's been indicted on 23 counts, uh, including, well, I can't say including what, because we're going to play a game. One of my favorite games here in the Bituation Room is Two News and a Lie, which is you decide which of the news items that I'm about to list off are true and which of them, which of them are false. I'm going to play with Derek and Julian later, specifically about all the Santos news. Oh, it gets weird. It gets weird. So if you're here, uh, you know, make sure you're liking the stream. You're sharing the stream right now. Uh, if you're on YouTube, let them know. Thank you for the new subscribers. A lot of folks saw some of my rantings and ravings about uh, liberal Zionists, and you decided to subscribe, and I'm really happy you did. Welcome. Uh, we like to laugh here as well as have on-point political analysis. Um, also, if you're listening as a podcast, leave this podcast five stars. Look, this if, if you needed any more evidence that this podcast is not safe for sponsors... <laughs> 
see my previous statements about Palestine. Um, this show relies on you guys. It relies on you as patrons. It relies on your tips. It relies on your generosity. Anything is helpful. Uh, it allows us to uh, actually compensate the small but mighty team that works to bring this show to you every single week and every twice a week because there's a Friday bonus show. And if you're a patron, you get access to that bonus show. We usually try to keep it light. It's either really light or really heavy, whichever one you like. Sometimes it's crazy. You know, it's a lot of QAnon stuff, but also Latin American foreign policy. It's tight. Uh, Patreon.com slash habituation room every Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you know what it is. Um, and you get all kinds of good things, discounts on merch, 20% off any Frantifa merch. You also get access to the American prospect online. You also get 60% off the American prospect magazine to your home. So it's, it's all the good things. Um, and it supports this little show that could, you can also tip the show TBR dash live on Venmo TBR live on cash app. And I will be reading out all the a couple tips and some new patrons at 10 bucks or more during the fart song. That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about Palestine Solidarity and the fart song. Not at the same time. That would be crude. That'd be crass. That'd be ridiculous. But of course, you know, we got to we got to laugh to not cry in these moments. So let's get into it, y'all. Let's talk about it. Oh, what are you bitching about? So um, I am absolutely stunned at the way that both mainstream news as well as friends on social media, social media generally, mainstream news, um, have not given this incident, I think, the gravity um, that it deserves. And that is the heinous murder, the hate crime of a six-year-old in Plainfield, Illinois. This is just outside of Chicago. Six years old, Wadia Al-Fayume, who was Palestinian-American, who was stabbed by his landlord. Let's just put that out there. I'm just, I'm just going to name that. And I, okay, well, let's, all right, you want to go, let's go deeper. Let's go. What are the terrible things surrounding this crime? Um, his landlord used to love him. His landlord, he considered a grandfather. His landlord built him a tree house. They were tight. His landlord, a 70-year-old white guy, also was sucking down psychotic rhetoric from right-wing news day after day after day, specifically uh, like AM radio, getting that mainlined in his bloodstream and his brain and just decided that Muslims and specifically Palestinian Americans were the enemy. Stabbed this child to death 26 times. Guys, 26 times, right? What is that? That is, I think this person is a devil and I have to kill them until they're dead because like all Muslims are scary to me because that's what I've been told. Okay, that's those are the facts. Also, stabbed his mom 12 times. She's still fighting for her life in a hospital. This is the day after or a few days after, what a lot of people in this country um, were talking about, which was supposedly a day of jihad, right? This was a day where all Muslims, you know, they would be activated somehow, the chip in their brain goes off, and then they would attack specifically Jews. And I'm talking serious people believe this was going to happen. That serious people were texting folks saying, be careful tomorrow. 
Now, I don't want to do a tit for tat. Oh, I'm sorry. Have there been any anti-Semitic attacks lately? Because I'm so glad that there actually have not been. At a time of massive increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes, from where? I'm sorry, from who? Not from Muslims, not from Palestinian Americans, but from the effing right wing, from the same radio that tells this psycho to go kill Palestinian Americans. In that same breath, they can say, oh, yeah, and and Jews. So look, people, if this is Israel's 9-11, then we have a chance to do things differently. We have a chance to actually not do the knee-jerk Islamophobic dehumanization in the United States. We'll talk about what's going on in Gaza later. In the United States that we did after 9-11. People want to pull out 9-11 like, oh, this is the 9-11. Okay, well, let's slow it down and figure out what the F we did after 9-11 that got us into, I don't know, uh, quagmires of wars, occupations, um, fueling sectarian violence, the creation of ISIS, destabilization in the regime, in the, in the whole region, um, you know, migration to the United States, on and on and on and on and on, right? And here we're being gaslit that it's just Jews that are under attack. We got the New York Times doing exposés about young Jews in America and how they feel. By the way, not that I was counting, every single one of them a white kid. Okay, fine. As if there aren't Jews of color. Not a single exposé about Palestinians. Not a single one. And there's a child who's been murdered. And we're just, I guess we're just supposed to like incorporate that. It was like, okay, no, no, no. Well, yeah, that's, uh, uh, I don't know, collateral, casualty of war. Nope, that's what comes. And we're just supposed to forget about it. We mention it. Kamala Harris says something, you know, uh, hey, this is bad. You know, this is bad. And then we're just supposed to keep going. And I say, fuck that shit. That is not okay. This is not okay. We know, we know. Who's the actual victim in this entire war? We understand it's Muslim Americans. We understand it's Palestinian Americans. You know, you got Palestinians in San Francisco who have been here for, I don't know how many generations more than these fucking white gentrifier assholes being like harassed for being Palestinian here in San Francisco. So that's what I'm bitching about. Uh, everyone needs to come correct about what this, what this is actually about and what it's not about. And if you needed any more evidence, you have a six-year-old who's dead now, um, that this is about rightward fascism globally. And guess what? It has Muslim Americans and yeah, it also has Jewish Americans in its crosshairs, but it's not coming from the Muslim community and criticism of Palestine or criticism of Israel is not a conflation of Judaism and criticism and anti-Semitism. And we've been over this a million fucking times. So yeah, yeah. Um, Wadia, rest in peace. I hope your mom pulls through and I hope we can show up for her and I hope we can hold her. And, it, and it's, just, it's just wild to me, you know? These are our neighbors. These are our friends. These are people you trust. And then, again, I think I think the right is turning on the chip in uh, racist brains. And they're the ones who are acting out. So do better, y'all. Do better. It's not a day of jihad. Uh, it is, it's just racism. It's just Islamophobia. 
Let's bring in, however, on that fun note, uh, but no, someone to, you know, contextualize this, to talk about what's going on now. Um, he is, let me get his actual bio, but I know he's a senior producer at AJ+. He's worked at AJ+, since its launch in 2014, and he, um, you know, he and I used to chill together, man. Uh, and uh, he's a wonderful guy all around. Mohammed Al Safin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Francesca. So good to see you. Yeah, it's really good to see you too. Um, under these circumstances, I it's terrible. <laughs> I know. I wish it weren't, but I heard you were crushing it on other podcasts, and I could not have that. I could not have <laughs> going on other people's shows and not coming on mine. So I got jealous. Um, but first, just I wanted to ask you about because I and I know this is getting personal quickly, but yeah, you have family in Gaza, and I wanted to ask what is going on. Are they and how and maybe what what was life like before this and what is life like right now yeah i mean um trying to to do your job as a journalist while also knowing that there's a very real chance that your family um could become the story is 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 gut-wrenching um this has been a really really tough week um i have uh, I have cousins, uncles, aunts in Gaza. I was born there. I actually lived there for a small part of my childhood. Um, it was funny. We were doing a, uh, I was translating some footage that came in uh, yesterday from uh, from a hospital in Gaza and uh, of a doctor who, you know, as he's treating patients, notices that some of them are his, uh, his, his son and his father are there, uh, are amongst the, uh, the dead. And as I'm translating, I, I check and I realized that was the hospital I was born in. So, um, and I guess, you know, it's hard to put into words sometimes um, the depth of the dehumanization that has happened over the last 10 days uh, towards Palestinians. I I mean, we, we were, I guess we were teenagers in 9-11. Yeah, um, I mean... And we remember. I was eight, seven, eighteen. Yeah. Yeah, and we remember very distinctly, you know, how scary the times were after that. Um, the bloodlust that a lot of people had, and at one level, you understand people are scared, they're angry, they're shocked, they want someone to pay for, you know, their pain. Um, but on another, um, when we're talking about some of the most powerful militaries in the world and some of the most defenseless people in the world, there's only one way this is going to go. Um, the, the way the media in this country and in Europe, especially have reported on this over the last 10 days has been terrifying because what they did, I mean, the logical conclusion of what they were doing or what they've been doing mm -hmm. is what we saw in Chicago, mm -hmm. right? You spoke about the man who killed Wadia being, you know, poisoned by right-wing talk radio. Unfortunately, that's only a few degrees of extremism removed from what we're seeing on mainstream media from some of the most respectable journalists and faces in this country. Mm -hmm. The utter dehumanization of Palestinians, the uh, utter deference to everything that the Israeli government and the Israeli military have said, despite their decades of uh, on the record um, atrocities, mm -hmm. um, the Israeli government um, has open fascists in it people yeah. who have campaigned and won election on ethnically cleansing palestinians from what remains of their land 
And, and these are the people that the mainstream media in this country have been uh, very uncritically platforming. Yeah, We've seen Israeli soldiers on CNN primetime say, this is not a war against Hamas, this is a war against all the civilians, with zero pushback from some of CNN's most high-profile anchors. And and just to double down on that, it's not just that one IDF soldier who's like in full regalia. I mean, just like so performative, disgusting, and and I'm not going to play it, but that's exactly what he said. I mean, he he is literally correcting um, the anchor and saying, no, we're talking about all civilians. It's not just Hamas. Yeah. Um, that's not from just from him. We're talking about the president of Israel also saying yep. we're openly targeting civilians. This is the same thing. We do not distinguish b between Hamas and civilians. Mm -hmm. When they're so bald faced, I mean, let's just name that then this morning, and I don't know if this is the hospital you were born in, but the Al-Ahli Arabi Baptist Hospital was bombed, 500 yeah. people confirmed dead, and I mean, they were just, just days ago, you know, you see, there's, there's babies in incubators there, man, they're, they're just, there's doctors are trying to keep them alive, and so, these are war crimes, out and out war crimes. What it, does that surprise you, number one, Safi? Does that surprise you? And like, what is it going to take when you when you see that they're just celebrating that? I mean, speaking of celebrating, right? They're yes. celebrating that these this is what they're doing. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's uh, it's disgusting because in the immediate aftermath of the bombing of the hospital, that wasn't the hospital I was born in, okay. um, but that hospital like all the other hospitals in Gaza, there's two things about that. Mm -hmm. Since day one of this Israeli war, the Israeli military has been very open about the fact that it intends to target these hospitals. Multiple doctors and hospital officials have spoken about repeatedly, not in the US media, unfortunately, but repeatedly, you see an Arab media, you see it elsewhere, about getting calls from Israeli military and intelligence officials saying you need to evacuate the hospital. There's been a big storyline that's been happening um, that's been playing out, I, I suppose, outside the mainstream media. But it had the threat of this has been real. Mm -hmm. Doctors have said over and over, we cannot evacuate hospitals. We can't leave people to die. You evacuate, you can't evacuate a hospital. It's impossible. There are patients there, are people in surgery, there are babies in incubators, there are the wounded, and there's nowhere for them to go. As we saw a couple of days ago, the road that the Israelis said was safe for evacuation was bombed. The Rafah crossing has been repeatedly bombed. Um, so um, the other thing about the hospitals is because in the past, where even though Israel has bombed hospitals in the past, the bombing has tended to be um, uh, minor in comparison mm -hmm. to some of the airstrikes in other areas. Mm -hmm. These are literally the only places in Gaza that people felt they might be safe, mm -hmm. right? thousands of people are gathered in the courtyard of every hospital yeah the the killing the deaths that we've that we're seeing and the pictures are absolutely indescribably grotesque the pictures that we're seeing coming from the hospital are of children their bodies torn apart in the courtyard of the hospital yeah right aside from the horror of of that this atrocity what it also does is reinforces psychologically this terror that there is absolutely nowhere you or your children are going to be safe yeah you and i are parents and i cannot imagine trying to comfort my kids and trying to reassure them that they're going to be safe in a moment like this 
I mean, this is the other thing we were talking about mainstream news, you know, why is it that we have to turn to social media to see these images? You know, I mean, I, I would I would say that some news outlets, mainstream news, outlets, obviously, AJ Plus is doing an incredible job. I, I think, you know, New York Times has done some uh, despite their fluff pieces about, you know, Jews who feel feel unsafe versus, you know, actual kids who are being murdered. Um, they have done some on the ground reporting, but you're not seeing it's like there's just this dissonance, right? And it kind of plays into the idea. I mean, it, in terms of censorship, you've got it right mm -hmm. there, right? Because if if there were these images, I mean, coming out of Israel, right? You there's like they'll show blood, you know, they'll show where people were dragged from by Hamas. Like that's totally fine to air. But on yeah. the other side, we're seeing again that fog and that sanita sanitization of war of like mm -hmm. let's just get the the you know the officer to tell mm -hmm. us how mm -hmm. they're strategically killing people in mm -hmm. hospitals mm -hmm. so it doesn't surprise you that it that they would do this but i guess i'm just like we're like no one can say they were ignorant no i i mean i it's i don't know if i would say i was i'm 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 not surprised yeah um i think this probably was the last thing that could have shocked me in Gaza, and it has. Um, I think the last couple of hours since since the news broke, I have been, it's been very hard to process it. And you know, Francesca, I've covered this story for years. I've covered the 2008 war, sorry, the, I, was, I was around for the 2008, 2009 war, but covered the 2014 war. Mm -hmm. That was one of the ma first major stories we did at AJ Plus, right. the 2021 uh, war. Um, and this and this has been absolutely um, orders of magnitude more horrifying than any of those. I mean, in 2014, the Israelis killed uh, 2,200 people, 550 of them children, over a period of 55 days. We have almost doubled that number in just eight days. Um, and and the reason I think the Israelis have done that, and we have to be very clear about accountability here is that they have been given primarily by the United States, but also by other European powers, a blank check to do so. Yeah. Um, when, uh, you know, President Biden and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Secretary of State uh, Antony Blinken repeatedly affirm that they have Israel's back, that Israel will do what it needs to do. And we're going to be there for Israel no matter what. And if they have to do this, then so be it. And then put out a tepid statement afterwards saying, you know, we told them to to respect civilian civilian lives. Um, you're telling these people that they can do what they want. And we, as the most powerful country in the world and the prime patron of Israel's military machine, will sit back and do nothing except reload the ammunition that you've already dropped over Gaza. It's it, words. It, I mean, you know, we grew up seeing images say from eastern europe the balkans war mm -hmm. um bosnia um rwanda mm -hmm. and um you know people say we didn't know well we're watching it in 4k live mm -hmm. no and 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 you know who knew more than anyone else is the biden administration they've known yeah. Of course they know what's going to happen. They could have put out that tepid statement and in reference, you're making reference to the fact that yesterday Joe Biden said, you know, hey, uh, uh, all civilians aren't Hamas. Hamas aren't all civilians. Cool. Thanks, my guy. Um, yeah. Could he use this like a week and a half ago um, 
or a week ago or whatnot. It just feels like it's been a, a lifetime since this all kicked off. But you're absolutely right. And and I want to talk about that a little bit more. Um, hmm. There have been reports that like Israel turned back on the water, so to speak, in Gaza. What are you hearing about that? And then maybe can you explain like resources in general in in a place that you lived in for a time and that sure. you know yeah. of deeply? So, so the reason Israel is able to turn the water on and off on Gaza is essentially kind of the crux of this conflict, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Israel maintains absolute control and dominance over the 2.2 million people who live in Gaza. Um, the Hamas attack was called a breakout because that was literally what it was. These people broke out of a prison that, have been, that has been constructed around them their entire lives. Um, for 20, the last time I was in Gaza, Francesco was 2005. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so almost 18, year, 18 years ago now. And back then, one of the things that was constant was this incessant buzzing sound, which is the sound of Israeli drones over the Gaza Strip. That sound has not gone away for 18 years. Can you imagine growing up there like that, being born into that, growing up knowing that every move of yours is being seen from the sky, that death is imminent from the sky at any moment? Um, you cannot uh, leave Gaza if you mm -hmm. want to travel freely. Um, uh, electricity is, there hasn't been 24 hours of electricity in more than 18 years in Gaza. And that is a deliberate policy by the Israeli state to keep people just above survival levels, mm -hmm. right? Um, in 2012, the uh, Israeli newspaper Haaretz, uh, referencing uh, Israeli military documents, found that the Israeli army had actually calculated a minimum number of calories that everyone in Gaza needs to avoid starving and limited the import of food based on that. Um, this is stuff that's been happening for decades. It's not stuff that happened that started last week. It's not even stuff that the Palestinians are responding to because they happened just the last year or so. Um, this has been built. These people have literally been put in what can be described as a concentration camp, mm -hmm. um, locked up from the world. Uh, the, the borders, uh, uh, topped with remote machine guns, right. That are controlled from miles away. People just like, you know, can turn on the bullets or pull the trigger from a, from a, from a video console miles mm -hmm. away. Um, it, you know, um, we're talking about the bombing of hospitals. Um, hospitals in Gaza have had to make do without essential medicines for the last 20 years, 16 years right. since this block blockade Because began. of the blockade, right. Which has been, I mean, there have been demonstrations, peaceful protests, the, you know, stop the siege, the yeah. Gaza flotilla, remember that? Um, Gaza flotilla, the great march of return in 2018, when every Friday, thousands of Palestinians march peacefully to the border, demanding, you know, the lifting of the siege and the right for them to return to their homes though, that are now in Israel across the fence um, and were met by sniper fire. Uh, hundreds of people were killed, 6,000 people injured, many of them made permanently disabled. Um, and, you know, it, it's very easy for us to sit here in the West and say, you know, those Hamas guys are barbarians and, and, and even people who are horrified by what Israel is doing in response will say, you know, um, we can't conflate Hamas and the Palestinian people. The problem with that logic is that when Hamas launched their attack, and you can absolutely abhor the tactic, the specific tactics, especially where it came to women, children, civilians who were killed or kidnapped, 
they were very clear about what their intention was and why they did what they did, right? And it was because, as they said, we have tried diplomatic solutions in the past and been rebuffed. We've tried peaceful protests and been rebuffed. Um, the siege is not being lifted. Um, our prisoners are not being released. And so we're trying to put an end to this. Now, are they going to be successful in that? I don't know. But I think if you uh, have never lived a day in a place like Gaza, I don't think you can quite comprehend what living there for in, in that in that situation for 16 years of siege and 30 years of closure can do to people. Yeah, I mean, and in terms of the hostages, and we talked about this last week. Um, well, we we talked about the you know Hamas trying to negotiate you know for yeah. prisoner release in previous attempts. Uh, yeah, that were I, I just want, just yeah. got to be clear to people: like, these people were not taking hostages just for the sake of taking them hostages. They were taking hostages as bargaining chips for a prisoner release for yeah. a prisoner swap. Right. Sorry. No, no, no. That's exactly right. And and I think that if I mean, I also put myself in the situation in the shoes of those hostages, knowing that my government um, and the government of Israel do believes people to be collateral damage and believes people to be pawns and has no qualms with, you know, again, um, killing as many people as long as it pr proves some sort of political point. And I'd be terrified. And a lot of them, them and their family members have spoken out about that. Mm -hmm. Why isn't Israel doing everything in its power to try and negotiate get and get them yep. back instead yep. of, you know, completely um, indiscriminately bombing, which will ensure that they will die. And we're talking about I wasn't it. It's like almost 200 hostages yeah, around 200, according to Hamas. That's... I think the Israelis haven't given an official figure on their end. Yeah, sure. So let's let's just pivot because uh, two last points and then I'll let you go. Uh, but on this idea that no one's doing anything, especially in power, we, we know that to be true, especially in the White House and from the Biden mm. administration. But there is minor pushback um, mm. from members of the squad, right? Progressive uh, Democrats like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm -hmm. calling on this ceasefire uh, calling on a resolution right now. Uh, Cory Bush, Andre Carson, Talib, Summer Lee, love Summer Lee, um, Delia Ramirez, along alongside Jamal Bowman, um, Bonnie Coleman, Chewy Garcia, John. I mean, uh, just Ayanna Presley, Nidia Vasquez, uh, Velasquez. Mm -hmm. So this is huge. Asking uh, President Biden to please call for an immediate de-escalation. Meanwhile, we know that internal memos uh, from the Biden administration says you are not to utter the word ceasefire or de-escalation. Now you have Biden going to uh, Tel Aviv, I believe today, to do what? I don't, I honestly do not know. I think even if Biden were to put himself in Gaza, Israelis would, <laughs> the Israeli military would not discriminate. Um, but I don't know, what do you make of this, at least this attempt? Is it you know, yeah, just just your reactions to this, you know, something that we didn't necessarily have in 2008 and 2014 was were leaders like this. Yeah, um, I, I think it's it's a good sign. Unfortunately, the numbers are so small. Um, it does seem like just from, you know, reading some of the reporting around this uh, on, on the Hill, especially things are slightly shifting from where they were last week. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the rate of killing is so high that we need a ceasefire yesterday, not today, not tomorrow, sorry. So, um, you know, I it's commendable that people are calling for ceasefires, but I mean, all I have to do is look at the TV and see the images coming out of there mm -hmm. and realize that, you know, 
it's the least you can do morally. There's been a lot of talk from the Biden administration about, you know, uh, negotiating with Israel to set up safe humanitarian corridors. Um, and in the absence of a ceasefire, especially in a place as tiny as Gaza, that is meaningless. It's, yeah. it's face saving by, from, from the Biden administration. And, you know, I, if I could just take it, pull, pull it back a little further, Biden going to uh, Israel tomorrow mm -hmm. and Blinken being there all week and attending a meeting of the Israeli war cabinet as they plan to strategize these bombings is being seen very clearly by the Arab world and the Muslim world, right? A lot of people are looking at this not just as an Israeli war on Palestinians, but an American-Israeli war. Mm -hmm. And and I don't think I don't think that was kind of the case in previous rounds. Um, beyond that, um, these uh, the talk that was coming out last week of the Americans, uh, Biden administration, pressuring Egypt to open the border and take in, you know, 2.2 million Palestinians into Sinai, mm. um, is is horrifying to comprehend. If you know anything about the history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the reason, the primary reason this conflict has been ongoing for 75 years was the ethnic cleansing that took place in 1948 of three quarters of a million Palestinians. Um, that were not allowed to return to their homes. So even for you know nominal U.S. allies like Jordan and, and, and Egypt, this is horrifying, right? A lot of people say they don't care about Palestinians, and that's possibly true at a government level. But none of these governments want to bear the burden yeah. of what Israel and the United States want to do here. They don't want Palestinians to be shipped off into their countries because from what they've seen, what history has shown us is once Palestinians leave, they're not allowed to go back home. Right. Absolutely. And that is ethnic cleansing. It's at the ethnic cleansing. And, and it's also, I mean, from, again, yeah, a crass sort of governmental standpoint, difficult to incorporate refugees who have nothing as if you have extra resources to spare. And, and let's just name how racist it is. And I've heard liberals tell me this as well. <laughs> well, why don't Arab nations do more for Palestinians? Um, why doesn't the U.S. stop fucking giving $3 billion a year to the IDF? Okay, how about like, why don't we mind our own business? You're talking about people in the in regions minding their regional business. Tell that to the fucking United States, number one. Like I just, it, it's, and it's so racist to be like, oh, we'll, we'll group the Browns, you know, the Browns yeah. go together, we, we well, just organize it's, them. It's all, it's all the same. You it's know. all the same? It's all the same. Just put them anywhere, they'll be fine. I, I, yeah, so... <laughs> let's leave Biden aside. The guy is a massive uh, disappointment and failure at a time when like domestically he was enjoying support. Now yeah. you have especially young people in this country. And yeah, a lot of young Jews who are, you know, speaking out against this. I did want to just play this video and then get your reaction sure. um, to some of the, the progressive uh, movement in, you know, an anti-Zionist Jewish um, sort of resurgence here in the U.S. I'm here as a Jew to say that we urgently call on all people of conscience. We call on the White House, we call on Congress to do everything to end the genocide that is currently unfolding in Gaza right now. And we are here as Jews because we carry the history of our ancestors. This moment is crystal clear. We are seeing un unbelievable human suffering and loss of life. It is an atrocity what is happening, and we refuse to let our grief be used as a weapon. The way out is not more death. The way to heal from grief is not more grief. 
So that, uh, if not now, is leading a, a you know massive mobilizations in D.C. Jewish Voice for Peace is also joining them. Um, you know, this is in lieu of our government doing literally fucking anything to help the you know to to to. I mean, ceasefire is the call here, which is yeah. the most centrist. I mean, you it's literally like, just please stop it. But maybe give me your reactions. I You know, I've talked a lot about sort of the the maybe the more liberal Zionists and kind of like, well, this is what you got to do. Um, but they're more and more our young, young Jews who are standing up against um, what yeah. is happening in Gaza. <laughs> I think I think. Um as horrifying as all this is from a historical point of view, I think people like the ones that you, you just played in that clip probably comprehend better than a lot of pundits. Um, and a lot of people who are just watching from the sidelines, the historical horror of a state committing suicide, genocide in the name of Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we're not think, supposed to point that out, though. I mean, right? Like, we're not supposed to say, hey, kind of feels like the ghetto that you've created in Gaza looks a little similar to the atrocities carried out by the Nazi regime. You're not supposed to, obviously. And and again, these young Jews, I think, are pointing that out very rightly so. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and I can imagine, like, in a moment like this, um, it must be very difficult to kind of stand up against the mainstream of your own community and say, you know, this is wrong and this is being done in our name and we have to stop it. Um, but I think it's more urgent than ever that people find their voice in that sense, because otherwise we're seeing people justify and celebrate the bombing of hospitals yeah. like we saw today. And I also feel like, I hope that this translates into, you know, we, we talk about like the squad standing up to this. I know, Safin, that at a time, like, I think a lot of Palestinian Americans, I think a lot of Arab Americans are probably feeling, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, but you know, we've been around, I've been around when, you know, uh, these wars pop off and these things happen. And it's like, there's just so much demoralization in the Arab American community and rightly so in the Muslim American community and rightly so. But I just, I want to say that I, I, I hope that we fucking like block out all the warmongers and focus on how we can actually take the reins of power that like, you know, people like Rashida, people like Ilhan, people, you know, can represent, are representing this community that deserves to be represented as well as the progressive Jewish community that deserves to be represented and, and does not feel that allegiance with Israel. And so I'm, I feel like at once we are in one of the darkest moments of this, of this occupation, but then mm. also I see rays of light if we can fucking, if we can get our wits about us and really resist, uh, I see a turnover, a political turnover in this country, but that's just me. I'm an eternal optimist, but I'm talking to a Palestinian who's seen a lot. Um, but um, yeah. Well, I, I was listening to an interview with a former colleague of mine from Ramallah yesterday, and she was saying, look, to be born a Palestinian is to be born an optimist. It's in the manual. We got to keep hope because otherwise, you know, despair is going to take over. And these are genuinely some of the darkest times I've ever experienced as a Palestinian. And I'm not even there. Right. Um, you asked me earlier about my family and I'm, I, I know we got a wrap, but I just want to say my, what, what, what I'm going to say applies to virtually everyone who has family in Gaza. We don't know where they are. We don't know. All we know is um, they're homeless. They're, uh, 
several of the houses belonging to members of my family have been bombed. Uh, several of them have had the entire neighborhoods where they've lived their whole lives have been flattened by Israeli airstrikes. Um, we only get, uh, you know, the power and internet are so, um, it's so hard to get power and internet that we only hear from them once or twice a day. And the update is we're still alive. Um, so the only way out of this is an immediate ceasefire and then a real reckoning with the things that led to this point, yeah. because there's no military solution to this. This is a political problem and this, and the resolution to this is political. And anyone who is sickened by what we're seeing last week is to realize if we don't want this to happen again, there has to be an end to the occupation and end to apartheid and accountability for war crimes. Yeah. Otherwise this will happen again. Absolutely. And it will be worse. And I think that everyone said it and let's just name it. The occupation is untenable. And this, the, you know, uh, crimes committed by Hamas and the crimes in retaliation are evidence to that. This is untenable. It's untenable for Palestinians. It's untenable for Israelis. Um, there needs to be a better way. And it's just incredible that Palestinians would be the ones who are called terrorists when there were i mean they and their allies are just saying there is no military solution we aren't the ones pushing a fucking military solution i'm sorry this is me getting psycho again and very angry um safin uh thank you so much for joining me i just want everyone to to know i mean we can follow you but also please follow aj plus's work um yeah. Mohammed's done incredible work, um, and also I, I was I was watching your wonderful, uh, beautifully done sort of history of the state of Israel or history of Zionism. I think it was called. It's like awesome animated explainer. Was that? I think it was how how Israel was created. How Israel was created. So good. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can find that on our uh, AJ Plus's YouTube page. We have at the top of the page now a playlist with a lot of our Israel Palestine explainers. So. If you're horrified by the news, but you also, you know, feel like you want to learn a little more about what led to this point, there's plenty of content on that there that you can find. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll link to that. Everybody should really just like, yeah, take a beat. If you feel, again, if you feel like you're underinformed, you're not, you're not, you're <laughs> that moral feeling you're feeling. It's good. It's and it's backed up by history and evidence. Um, thank you, Mohammed. I'm sending you so much love. I wish I could give you a massive hug. Um, Mostly because, um, you know, I know you hit the gym. So uh, <laughs> I got to get in my little uh, Safine Arms uh, joke before you leave. Um, take good care. Sending your family so much love. Thank you. Um, yes, I'm inappropriate. I'm Francesca. You guys know me. I'm stupid. I'm ridiculous. Um, and everybody, please follow AJ Plus and, and look at their work. Um, and I'm really excited to be joined got to roll right into this uh by two of the three co-hosts of conspirituality podcast which is the podcast that dismantles new age cults wellness grifters and conspiracy mad yogis they've got a book out conspirituality how new age conspiracy theories became a health threat um please welcome derek barris and julian walker hi guys hey francesca let's talk about the gym let's talk about something uplifting yeah after that segment <laughs> nothing weird happens in the gym right Oh, never. No, no. Totally normal place all the time. No, no, no fascies hang out in the gym. Oh, um, my baby just came home. Um, 
Guys, it's so good to have you back on. And I know we wanted to kind of like laser focus on RFK Jr., but also anything else that you wanted to any 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 other thing. But specifically, since we last talked, RFK Jr. is now running as an independent. Um, he's no longer in the Democratic Party, which is like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't know why you didn't start off with this, bro. But what what's what's going on? What's going on with our boy um, since we last spoke? Well, as RFK keeps announcing on Twitter, uh, he is against the elites because being a Kennedy, he is not an elite. Uh, so he is going to bring down the elites. It sounds kind of like a promise we heard uh, in 2016. But that's where his focus is going. Uh, one interesting thing that he's really done well and why I think he is somewhat of a threat is he's been able to pick off all of these different fringe groups across the right and across sort of the wellness territory that we cover. So mm -hmm. he's gone hard into the crypto community. He's done regenerative farming uh, uh, conferences with people. Uh, his his public health policy roundtable in June featured uh, uh, Mickey Willis and Joe Mercola and Sherry Tenpenny, so it had all the anti-vaxxers. So he's building a coalition of all of these different fringe groups that Julian and I, and of course Matthew, have been covering for the last three and a half years. And he's really drumming up a lot of support. I just saw also uh, his last tweet before we got on, uh, Beanie Siegel uh, is endorsing him now, the hip hop artist. So he's, he's really trying to put together something that could actually do some damage. I just don't know what direction that's in yet. I think that's what everyone's trying to trying to guess. This coalition of the cray, like which way are they going here? Because initially you think you're like, oh yeah, this is this might hurt Joe Biden, um, but it might also equally hurt Donald Trump. You know, we I've just seen just interviews with with Trumpers who are like, yeah, I don't I like RFK. So yeah, I mean, do you think this is like? I guess I'm not worried about it for next year so much as I am worried about what happens when we don't actually get to the root of why someone like RFK is popular. What happens in 2028? What happens the next time he or someone else like him wants to run? So can you just sort of underscore, like, other than just writing them off, why are people attracted to RFK Jr.? Well, it's a, a bit of a motley coalition, as you've already alluded to. Uh, we have the crunchy granola moms, and they're just asking questions about the crowded childhood vaccine schedule. But then there's also the super conspiratorial anti-vaxxers who hear his dog whistles about institutional capture and medical corruption, how he's going to you know, bring huge reforms. And of course, his, his second to last book is about Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates and you know, how everything done under COVID was unconstitutional and these people should be punished. But he's also drawing in some, I would say, maybe slightly gullible lefty populists. And they really like mm -hmm. what they hear in his rhetoric about healthcare and the environment, how the Democrat elites have abandoned working people. But then he's also won praise, as we've talked about from Alex Jones, Steve Bannon, and other right-wing chaos agents. So it's it's a big mess, you know, in this in this announcement now that he's running as an independent, I found myself at the beginning going, huh, I don't know how much this is going to appeal to the MAGA faithful or to like regular Republicans, because he had a quite long land acknowledgement by this Sue Lakota man 
who you know went into a fair bit of detail about the importance of remembering the atrocities of the past and how we need to apologize to the people whose land we're standing upon. So that just that seems to be sort of in the culturally liberal camp. But he, then he also said things like uh, people who are enthusiastic, enthusiastically rushing to support me and giving me goosebumps because of their earnestness are pro-life and pro-choice. They're on either end of the Second Amendment debate. They are climate skeptics and climate activists. And I'm sitting there thinking, how are all these people supposedly going to work together? Like, is this politics or... It, it. it feels like just blanket anti-establishment stuff. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, uh, you know, again, politics for dummies. And and to be fair, to be honest, like the left has its fair of share of dumb, dumb lefties who I could imagine falling for RFK um, just as soon as uh, someone on the right would fall for RFK Jr. It's just sort of this like, yeah, I, I just don't trust any authority at this point. Uh, vague, vague populism, rah, rah, rah. Mm -hmm. uh, Derek, just, were you going to say speak, something? Yeah, to speak to your last question about 2028, the... He gets something right. And as as long as I've been voting, which is I'm 48, so 30 years, there's been this conversation around, we need to break up the two-party system. Mm -hmm. And I actually think it's stronger now than I've really recognized in the past. And he's really drilling down on that. And that is absolutely true. He's not the solution, mm -hmm. but he is pulling off enough people to build a coalition for a longer term because eventually... I hope, and a lot of people hope, that we will get out of that gridlock of a two-party system. So what I see in, in both positive and negative terms are that people are waking up to the fact that we can possibly change how we vote in this country and who we vote for and how that's structured. But if the people leading it are people like RFK Jr., that's going to be a real problem because then you're essentially going to get a more libertarian strain, still right-leaning third party coming into the mix. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to break up all of the rights so that the left just wins all the time. Right. I mean, the more you try to keep the cat in the bag, the more the cat is going to scratch its claw its way out, like in terms of maintaining this two party duopoly, um, maintaining, you know, a the consensus that, yeah, the, you know, COVID is real and the vaccine is real, but our healthcare is completely privatized and pharmaceutical companies make hand over fist money. It's like, again, that grain of truth that, that uh, you know, RFK can tap into that no one necessarily um, in, you know, the establishment politics will tap into for fear of, I don't know, upsetting donors. I mean, a lot of it has comes down to money, too. I actually just wanted to ask, because I think a lot of us are wondering, how the hell is he going to fund this independent campaign? Like, who's giving him money? What do you guys know of that? I actually don't know where he's getting his money from. I, I assume a lot of it is is uh, smaller donations. No, he's getting some from Silicon Valley. So okay. there is some money there. Mm -hmm. But that was earlier in the campaign around the time when DeSantis was winning over people. So I don't know how strong that is. But that is one of the first industries that he was courting as well when he was trying to spread out and diversify where it was coming from. At this point, it seems like he's sending out frantic emails regularly about like, we need to hit our goal by this point. So he probably is pulling in small money as well. Mm -hmm. Of course, all of this is laughable because again, he is a Kennedy. And yeah. so he has he has at least some some wealth to tap into as well as the fact that 
uh, Children's Health Defense when you when the New York Times did the piece about how much more money they've made since his star has risen and since the anti-vax community has taken over. It went from under a million to multiples of millions of dollars a year. And I don't know if he's siphoning that off in any way. I can't claim that. But mm -hmm. I would say he's getting money from varied sources right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. What do you guys know of this guy, Terry Bowdit, this far right leader in, uh, Holland, I guess, who he was on the road with, who's like a white supremacist. He did COVID and climate denialism. He questioned whether dinosaurs were real. Like it's just some loony shit is, but the crossover, I think from anti-vax, you know, v yeah. Anti-big pharma to like again i think that white supremacist pipeline you guys have tracked that throughout all of your work yes absolutely i don't know of terry about it do you julian no is he is he one of the guys who's involved in uh uh Kerdenken in germany oh, american cards football coach no i don't i don't <laughs> know this guy but what, but what i can say is that you know from uh from 2020 from the summer of 2020 uh, Kennedy revealed himself to be very comfortable moving in many circles where there might be things like Holocaust denial. There might be things mm -hmm. like sovereign citizen uh, beliefs, whether of the American or the German variety. He's willing to share stages with people. Uh, he's willing to get up in front of the Lincoln Memorial and uh, compare people who don't want to be vaccinated to Anne Frank. So, you know, there's, there does seem to be as much as he... Uh, thinks he has this incredible intuition for being able to tell conspiracies. Uh, there is a lack of a, of a good radar in terms of uh, the fascist sort of dog whistles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we talked about the gym a little bit, but like, you know, it is, you guys have done such an incredible job of tracking again, like the, uh, the Rogan to Mickey Willis to like, like all the ways that fascism also really loves like imposing, you know, the Andrew Tate, like, um, like the like body discipline bullshit, you know, and all that psycho stuff, which is also has to do with like vaccine denialism and, you know, um, be believing that as long as you take a certain amount of, you know, supplements and all that, and that you go to the gym, however many hours a day, like you don't, you're not going to get COVID and vibrate on a different wavelength as a woman in a crowd. My first show back during COVID or after COVID, a woman in the crowd said, I believe if you vibrate on a higher frequency, yeah. you won't get COVID. And I nearly like <laughs> lost my mind. Uh, I, my uncle had passed from COVID and I was like, oh, oh. tight, tight, tight. Oh, I guess he just didn't vibrate on a yeah. higher enough frequency. Anyone else have a relative not vibrating on a higher enough frequency? I've never like almost murdered an audience member, uh, but that was the closest I came. Yeah, I mean, this is the very strong overlap between a kind of bro science, you know, back back to like the 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 real the way that real men are supposed to be. And, and then mm -hmm. it can get spun sometimes in new age circles as the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine. But it's really just a reenacting of like very old traditional gender roles that are actually quite conservative. But this is framed as like part of your self-actualization is to become really uh, you know, filled up with your sacred masculinity. And part of how you do that is buy our supplements, which we're going to sell on every ad break. And part of how you do that is by going to the gym. But there's also an appeal to nature, an appeal to uh, getting back in touch with a sort of primal way of living. 
that includes a lot of things, as it turns out, that are idealized within spiritual communities, within the culturally liberal uh, Whole Foods shopping with the yoga mat under the arm set. Dude, my, my vegan hairdresser who listened to Rogan and wouldn't get vaccinated. And I was like, girl, really? This has been my biggest complaint and the people that I know. Um, I mean, I guess my question to you guys, but because uh, I want to get to our game, is again, like, you've named the problem so well that is only growing and growing and growing. But what do you feel like is the solution? Like, what do you guys see when you, you see all these grifters, you see all these influencers, you see all the, yes, the bro science, you see people like RFK Jr. Um, what is like the an antidote here? Like what will sort of break the spell, so to speak? It's a lot. It's a lot of things. It's yeah. a huge question, but. A few years ago, I would say that tragedy would help. I was in New York hmm. City on 9-11. I remember the day, and, and I'm from that area. I'm from Jersey. And I remember for months afterward, the community around New York, meaning you would make eye contact with people in the subway and just start talking. And New Yorkers are New Yorkers are friendly. That's a you know, it's false that they're not, but not to the degree of just talking to people. And there was a sense of coalition at that time. But now, as we're watching in your last segment, what's happening in Israel, we see how split everything has become. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I had um, Tobias Rose Stockwell on a couple months ago on conspirituality, the media scholar, and he was talking about uh, proxy trust proxies mm -hmm. that. If you have a doctor in your life, if you have a nurse in your life, if you have these people, you tend to trust them more and you will be brought into a community of people that you're able to get good information from. I do think that that is possible, but how do you scale that? And that's that to me is the real challenge that we're facing is that this sort of um, this death of expertise, as Tom Nichols had phrased it, but mm. that 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 we don't trust experts. And, uh, you know, even uh, yesterday, Mark Andreessen put out the Techno Utopia Manifesto, which is ridiculous. And we're going to cover it. But one thing he specifically says is don't trust public health or experts. Right. And that's really dangerous. And when you think about the people who are running the technologies that we're talking on right now are like, yeah, don't trust experts, even though the people that built these platforms have to be experts in what they do. Uh, that That's really dangerous for a society. So I don't know how you how how you create an antidote when the people who are supposed to create it, you don't have any faith in. Right. And then I was just going to add, like, what's so what's ironic, though, about like the don't trust public health officials is like and public health is like, yeah, the people running our healthcare system also don't trust public health. Do you know what I mean? Like there are experts in public health who are like, let's have a robust system that covers everyone. That's the safest yeah. way to, you know, make sure we're healthy, make sure we can withstand pandemics or at least, you know, have some sort of defense against them. Like all of these things like preventative medicine, which is very much not for the profit, the for profit model does not work with preventative medicine. Like all of these things, you know, accessible food, you know, all whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's like, yeah, the experts are also not really listened to because who, you know, politicians, again, are taking hand over fist, big mm. pharma money and whatnot. So it's just there is more consensus than we would think. It's just, again, that I mean, honestly, I feel like to me, it'd be like universal health care would absolutely, 
if people had access to doctors in any more than, you know, their 15 minute telehealth appointments that they mm -hmm. waited months to get, that they paid whatever, however much a copay for. Like if we, again, had access to those folks, that would go a long way. You know, yeah, well, I think. Mm -hmm. go and ahead. this goes goes back to your your question about RFK and who he's appealing to. Like you don't you don't get to do this kind of faux populism unless you are tapping into people's legitimate grievances and fears and uncertainty. And and those were incredibly heightened by COVID, which is why he keeps banging the COVID drum about everything that was done that was against the Constitution. Now because he wants to keep tapping into those grievances. And I tell you what doesn't help. I mean. The, we have some ideas about what might help. It's a very difficult situation. And I think a lot of it does come down to education and media literacy and, you know, enough people from enough angles tackling this, this deluge, this fire hose of just utterly crazy stuff. But yeah. what doesn't help is RFK Jr.'s book from 2021, The Real Anthony Fauci is number one on Amazon in vaccinations. It's number one in Amazon in the category of immunology. It's number one on Amazon in the category of, uh, of epidemiology uh yeah it, so I, I don't know how how do you combat that combat that i mean it's almost you know it's a little i don't i don't know either you know part of me is like throw them on television and like get someone to actually like you know, point by point, crush his his like pseudoscience, but then you're also platforming him. And so you you get this this, you know, you're in this conundrum. I don't know what do you, what do you make of like the platforming versus not platforming? You guys really pull out, you know, pull the log from underneath the sort of like again, the little the little grubs making tons of money off this shit. But um, but what do you think about that in terms of like, do you expose it to the light and to the mainstream or do you to, to, to show how stupid it is or or not? Well, you have to allow it in because if you don't, then they're just going to use that. And the, what has happened is there there is an entire alternate media system that's been built up. And mm -hmm. I, I, I think the media system has always been robust or it's become increasingly robust because of technologies. But when you build a system like, uh, you know, it just came out that the Epoch Times is the number four newspaper in America now. What? Right? This is a this is this is a Falun Gong propaganda newspaper that is now number four subscription in the entire country. Oh my when god. You, when you have that alternative infrastructure, then there actually is no way to create platforms where people can have honest dialogues. And that's that is a real challenge. So I agree with like a Peter Hotez who will not go on Rogan to debate whoever or Aaron Rodgers right. saying he wants like right. that's all nonsense. But you don't have any platforms that you can actually debate this in a, that will actually bring experts together because what you said a moment ago about bringing RFK and just exposing his pseudoscience, I mean, Crystal Ball did the best job of anyone I've seen so far a few mm -hmm. months ago, mm -hmm. and he just goes into Gishgalit mode and just tramples on it so you can't actually keep up with them. So right. it's the I Trump don't know playbook. what's... Yeah, I don't know. Well, actually, people like Russell Brand and, and Kennedy are actually good at Gish Gallup. Trump is, <laughs> that's not his technique. His what technique is, what is, did you is, think, Gish Gallup? Yeah, Julian yeah. can explain. Yeah, Gish Gallup, it's, it's, it's named after Dwayne Gish, who was a prominent creationist debater. And it's a, it's a debate tactic in which you just throw so many uh, fallacious arguments and factoids at someone in, in a stream that it's impossible to debunk 
all of them. And the moment yes. you debunk one, there's another one that's coming. And Kennedy's really, really good at that. I mean, I think the reason we do it the way we do it is that it is really a problem to platform people who are arguing in bad faith, especially if they're very talented at it, and especially when the topics are really consequential. So to actually taking someone's statements, playing them word for word, not not you know distorting them or editing them or or doing any sort of bad faith misinterpretation and and breaking down specifically where the factual inaccuracies are is, is one way that we've tried to approach dealing with it. Yeah. Absolutely. You guys just need like an entire media outlet. You need mm -hmm. you need some of that following gong money to uh reroute <laughs> your no. Uh no, but I mean that is absolutely terrifying. Epoch Times, the cringiest pre-roll ads that exists they're always they're just they're just so fucking i don't even remember it's like some dude opening a filing cabinet going yeah. like did you know we have access to joe biden's underwear or like something weird and you're like what what am i watching you know like it's like it's we it's like scientology for politics mm -hmm. um which i mean can let me just say like scientologists really coming out on top here um uh, with all the new grifters, uh, you guys must be like, you know what, Scientologists, not that bad. Uh, let's be real, yeah. dude. This is this is. Did I ever tell you guys this? So we're like a uh, two month, a month into the pandemic, um, and I'm in my yard. Everyone's like freaking out, and two people in hazmat suits come by my house, and I'm like, oh my god, is this public health? What is happening? They've got like leaflets about COVID. No. They were Scientologists who were just like walking the block and like wow. say what you will about the Scientologists. Uh, they believe, committed. at least believed in COVID um, and they are committed. And I was like, this is so America, like late stage capitalist America where Scientologists are doing better work in like education <laughs> in the, the aftermath of uh, the, the first days of COVID, just wild. But, um. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me and talking sure. to me about that. I do want to subject you to my final fun segment before I let you go. But sure. before that, everyone needs to listen to Conspirituality, these deep dives, send it to the people who you think might be, you know, RFK pilled. Um, and also get the book, Conspirituality, How New Age Conspiracy Theories Became a Health Threat. Um, you, We're going to have Naomi Klein on this show uh, next week. Right or on the 31st, which I believe is next week. Is that? No, no, it's two weeks. Um, and she loves conspirituality. She's like credits. She shouts y'all out throughout her book. Um, and I know she's been on recently. So everybody listen to that interview as well. Um, so you guys are, she's always on the cutting edge of stuff, but you guys are even on the cutting her edge than uh, even our girl, Naomi. So when, when we got a, when we got the galley of her book and I saw what she wrote about us, uh, I am such a fan that it was, it was one of those moments that was just like, Oh, that is amazing. If anyone, if I could imagine anyone saying something that we did had an impact on them and you told me to go, Naomi Klein, I'd be like, yeah, I'm done. I can, I can yeah, retire yeah, yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. This is, I mean, look, you guys deserve it after all the work that you do and, and what you've put into your show and to, that I, again, I only hope grows and in, is in new manifestations because everyone needs to watch this. I mean, it truly should be part of our mainstream media diet, you know, to have, and social media diet to have like little snippets, uh, you know, from shows like yours, just like kind of dispelling these, these myths and these ideas that are spreading right now. Anywho, I mean, Thank anyway, you. 
like I can imagine a future. This is me trying to be positive. I imagine a future where like Meta or Google reaches out to somebody like yourselves, you know, and is like, hey, we want to run quick little pre-roll ads from these guys who've been following, you know what I'm saying? Or whatever it is. But then you'd have to take away the profit model and incentive for all this shit. And we don't have time to talk about that. But um, let's let's talk about one of my favorite political grifters. A um, little bit of the off the beaten path for you guys. Have you done an episode on on Mr. Santos yet? No, but he's a New York Mets fan. And that really sucks because I'm a Mets fan. And when he posted a photo at the at City Field wearing a Mets shirt, I was pretty bummed. So, oh, dude, I'm a Mets <laughs> fan, too. But like circa 2007, you know, Um but uh, yeah, my boy David Wright, we had Jose Reyes on the team, Carlos mm-hmm. Delgado, who wouldn't stand for the anthem, but then stood for the anthem because it's in New York and, and everyone was jingoistic after 9-11. Anyway, <laughs> um, that that is a redeeming. First of all, for Santos, not the worst thing to happen to this country. Um, let's be straight up. Um, there's one man who has more criminal indictments than he does, but... There's a lot of news coming out about George Santos. Big week. He has uh, he has 23, I believe, criminal counts against him. Um, and a lot more has been happening. He is out on bond. And I want to play a game with y'all. This is Two News and a Lie, the George Santos edition. It's real simple, guys. I throw up three facts or supposed facts about our boy George Santos. You tell me which one is the lie. We'll start with Derek. Here we go. Derek, which one is the lie? George Santos laundered money by selling luxury items back to himself on eBay. Or George Santos says the United States should leave the United Nations or George Santos was holding a baby and was asked if it was his. And he said, quote, not yet. Well, I absolutely know the third one is correct because that video was hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go with uh, uh, leaving the United Nations is the lie. Oh, no, he did say that. Uh, but he did uh, not launder money by selling luxury items back to himself on uh, eBay that we know of. But yeah, hell yeah, I, I got you. I got you. I got you. Francesco one, Derek zero. Um, but that does seem like something he did or will yeah. do. Yeah. Well, now hearing the charges, the idea. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you we've, just give idea. we've incepted this. All right, Julian, your turn. Yeah. Let's go. Here we go. George Santos has been charged with using donors' credit cards for purchases without their authorization. These are people who donated to his political campaign, um, or. George Santos claims his cousin was at the rave that was attacked by Hamas or George Santos's father and his aunt paid his $500,000 bond. I'm going to say it's fake that he claimed his cousin was at the rave. God damn it. Julian wins. Yes, that is right. Ding, ding, ding. He did not claim that yet. Mm-hmm. Yet. Because you know he will. I can't wait for him to be like, like, well, I'm actually Israeli-ish. Uh-huh. <laughs> As he said, he was Jewish. He's Israeli-ish. He has been going. It's so funny in terms of this issue. Like, you can see, you know which side, like, we should probably be on when you see, like, Ron DeSantis and George Santos 
freaking out and going like extra Islamophobic and crazy. Like George Sandoz is like so happy that this war on Gaza is happening because it gives him something to like so-called be on the right side of, mm -hmm. but he is not. Um, anyway, he didn't claim that his cousin went the rave, but he will, I'm sure at any moment, he'll, he will definitely know someone who like is a hostage. All right. And then tiebreaker. Now let's go back to Ju uh, Derek and give him a, ch a chance at this. George Santos said two two truths two news and a lie said that he would make a good running mate for donald trump since both have been targets of a witch hunt <laughs> or a judge changed george santos's bail conditions to better <laughs> allow him to go shopping and to eat out or george santos says if democrats help elect a speaker to the house he will resign in protest i'm gonna go with the judge changing his bail as the lie yes derek man i thought you like did a whole <laughs> podcast about liars that is true my oh friend my somehow they were like um well so he has to leave dc because the outlet malls in jersey are actually like a really par important part of his mental health mm. and so like, there's some like virginia i don't know what's outside of dc is jersey outside of dc like uh, you know he had to, they changed the radius in which he could travel while he was wow. on bail so that he could go dining and shopping I, I was I was trying to be a little more hopeful for a judicial system. There. Yeah, because uh, the Trump thing, because I know the third one's right. So I knew that I thought the Trump thing would have been um, par for the course. He's right. probably said that like he's definitely said witch hunt, but he hasn't postured himself mm. yet as a good running mate. Um, this this man is incredible. Um, I. I think like keep going, bro. Keep like double, triple down. It <laughs> it just reveals what idiots Republicans are and who they will they'll vote for fucking anybody. Um, Derek Barris, Julian Walker, thank you guys so much for being here on this solemn day, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, keeping us uh apprised of our boy RFK Jr. And I'm sure he's not going anywhere, even if he doesn't make it to the White House um now. But um any any final plugs or things you wanted to bring up? Uh, I would say we're doing, um, we just started crafting some one or multiple episodes on two things that have really, uh, I think people should be aware of. And one is Project 2025, and the other is this Techno Optimist um, Manifesto. And the reason is because you're coming from both the Christian conservative, muscular Christianity right, and you're coming from the Silicon Valley utopia libertarians. And now you have two documents. One is 920 pages long. The other one, the Andreessen one, is just one page, but it's kind of long, uh, that are basically these coalitions taking their masks off and being like, fuck socialism, like fuck the left, fuck woke. We are here. This is what we want. And they're both very religious in nature. When you, mm -hmm. uh, And I, I'm going to be very interested to dive into those, but I, I think they signal where the right and the libertarian spaces are trying to move in terms of uh, crafting a judicial system and creating further distrust in government that from the inside really from the inside that any citizen should be aware of so we'll be we'll be tackling that soon that's terrifying i mean in, in the name that keeps on coming up is just peter Thiel. i mean he embodies both of those um sort of streams of thought uh so thank you i i cannot wait to read and listen about the horrors um 
Paige is saying from the background, I was hoping someone would cover Mark Andreessen. You guys have to come back and tell us all about that as well. Um, and and again, like it's also just money. I love how like you know the people when you pull back the curtains from these conspiracy theories, it's like no, they're really well funded. They've got major yeah. major money behind them, and it is all in service of the same shit. It's just a different tactic to get the tax breaks that they want, but it's a new it's a new flavor it's a new flavor of ideology that they're now floating um well andreessen is just just a reboot of reaganomics there is nothing that's not in reagan's policies that in that document he's presenting it as if it's novel but it's not uh the project 2025 julian and i have been starting to look through it but 900 pages that's going to take a while but it is extremely authoritarian and religious so this yeah, is I mean, donald the, trump's project to, when he comes back into office right the idea of electing donald trump what they want him to do yes yeah this so it's the, the heritage first, foundation it's the heritage foundation's map of the first 180 days of a potential trump second presidency which involves completely gutting all government agencies and consolidating wait, executive wait, it, power in the hands of the president i had no idea it originated from the heritage foundation yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, go to project2025.com. It's, it's all there. You can download the report. You can see who's behind it. All the authors have signed off. Uh, the president of Heritage, whose name's escaping me right now, but he is tweeting about this constantly. So again, it's masks off. They're not trying to hide it anymore in any capacity. They are just saying, here it is, and this is what we're going to do. What does it include? Is it like, are there reproductive rights in this future? I, I mean, oh, it's completely anti-LGBTQ. Uh, it is completely no, but they actually cite Roe v. Wade as the sort of turning point of where these next ones will roll from there. So it is also anti-reproductive rights. This is my question, guys. I've been trying to work out a bit about this. I probably won't do it on stage tonight, but I'm like, what happened? What do you what do right wingers think will happen once they get women back in the kitchen? This is like this is like the like a relic that Indiana Jones stole. And then once you put it back, like every like <laughs> the jobs are gonna come yeah. back, you know, their dicks are gonna grow three inches. <laughs> you know, like when women are finally controlled, you know, what happens, bro? And it's like nothing, none of that happens. Mm. Uh, it's just friggin' wild. Anyway. Yeah, the Matrix will completely fall apart. <gasps> the Matrix will, exactly, it'll all crumble because women are back in the home um, making me a sandwich. Speaking of which, I am hungry as hell. And I, I am so happy to be friends with you guys. I'm happy to have you on at any time. And everyone needs to have Conspirituality as part of their podcast digest. Um, and yeah, thank you guys so much. I hope I hope to see you guys again soon. Good to be here. Thanks. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Good luck tonight. Thank you. Never tell a comic good luck. Don't you know that, Derek? It's always break a leg. It's break a leg. Good luck means bad luck. It's break a leg. Mucha mierda. A lot of shit. You say that mucha mierda in Spanish. Apparently, they told you they say uh, mucha mierda because they want back in the day. It's like uh, if there were a lot of carriages coming through to your stand-up show. <laughs> there would be lots of poo left behind by uh, the horses. And so that's why I'd say in Spanish, you say mucha mierda. It's like, uh, I hope you have a lot of horse doo-doo from all the carriages that rolled up to your comedy, your two drink minimum comedy show. Guys, that does it for the Bituation Room. Hey, a few comments from you, lovely, sexy, wonderful people. Uh, it's just 
Vegas says, if it wasn't for social media, we wouldn't see the atrocities happening out there in terms of Gaza. Agreed. I mean, and this is, again, you know, to Derek's point about media, you know, it's like the more that mainstream news doesn't show us some of these images, the more we start to distrust pretty much everything. Right. And you can sort of see the way um, the, you know, this sort of self-reinforcing nature of um mistrust right and it's like when you have these issues that do not get any kind of coverage or the coverage that they should get it isn't you know it's it's enough to make turn us off of mainstream news altogether what else are they not telling us about so so you can see how it starts with some of these issues that are as in our face like this uh marion d thanks for becoming a new member on youtube kushkar Clark Kent, also a member on YouTube. You guys get watchback privileges for all the old bonus bitches. You guys know we cover so many more stories on that. It's just me. It's very, very fun. Uh, Rainer Noliwaika says, throw DeSantis and Orange Donald in one prison cell together. Honestly, lock that motherfucker up. Matt Gates on the way for a Bronco sub, dude, says, I'm a pediatrician. I didn't know that. And he says, already kids are becoming affected. Please be kind to all as people that didn't know about Gaza and seeing it live. It is a shock. I mean, we consistently make this world less less safer for kids, don't we? And then we we tell them whether it's you know mass shootings and the lone wolf dr drills that they have to do, or you know fear of the other and fear of of you know Muslims or whatnot. It's anyway, we've we've failed them. Yay. Todd J says, okay, Franny's opening a meaningless joke distraction. Fred Flintstone has one over on RFK Jr. True proof of dinos come roaming the earth still has PTSD from the Bronco ribs flipped his car over. My humor denial. I don't know if I get that joke, but I do appreciate your super chat and I care. And I'm too tired to read that well. RFK Jr. stands for really fucking kooky, says Camperman5000. Half, thanks so much for your super chat as always. Marky Mark was the first to talk about good vibrations. Oh, God, Marky Mark. Also, like, one of the first hate crime committers. Didn't Marky Mark do, didn't Mark Wahlberg do a hate crime we're supposed to forget about? Spinning back kick, thanks for your super chat, says people fell for fake cures since snake oil days. Yeah. Um, conspiracy theories are very attractive. Miss Anonymous, thanks so much. Says 5,000 of us marched through Boston for Palestine last night. Hell yeah. That's that's incredible. Everyone needs to get to a march. Everyone needs to call your representatives. It is not futile. It is not a done deal, guys. This is not this is not over. This is unfolding as we speak. Um, Gary Cooper says, any terrible idea has a high probability of originating with the Heritage Foundation. Indeed. Thanks so much, Gary, for that. And Willie Gus, uh, in German, it's break your neck and leg. Hals und Beinbruck. Uh, when, it, when we say break a leg for a show. Um, and thank you guys so much. You know what? Thanks for all the extra love this week. We all need it. I see you. I, I, uh, I love y'all. And with my love comes the fart song. Mark Arnold and Mustafa Khan Guys, you're amazing Thanks so much To the big tippers David Handley, Darren Muku That means the world that you like the show And that you sent us some tips Thanks so much to Punch Up Dragon for resubscribing with Prime, 13 months strong on Twitch. Little, little yumper, subscribe with Prime. That's what I call my daughter when she's jumping in her bouncer, little yumper. Rose Alba 14, thanks for giving out a community sub. Late Bloomer 66 gave out five community subs. Um, ZX227 gave out four community subs. Thanks so much. Gatling Combo, resubscribe with Prime. 
Gimp.com like a bomb. Resubscribe at tier one. Thanks so much. And the Gimptastic fail. Subscribe with Prime. Also, Reesefire268 and LA Kings1317 subscribing. Thank you guys so much for your support. Thank you to Paige Omek, our producer, to Maximilian Inhoff, and to Andy Vasoyan, our editor. We stream Tuesdays, Fridays, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Follow us on all the things Bituation Room on Instagram, Bituation Pod on uh, Twitter or X, if I'm supposed to say that. Um, also on TikTok, Bituation Room. Follow me at Franny Fio. I will be on The Damage Report on Thursday and Friday of this week, so holler at me there. And remember to fight the power to fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Free Palestine.